1 Corinthians 4.20, one of those uh, verses in the Bible that uh, causes me to think heavily upon what it's saying and what it means. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it is a matter of power. What power is he speaking about? The same power that Jesus is speaking about in Acts chapter 1. When between the time he rises from the dead and before he goes back up into heaven 40 days later, on one occasion he is eating with his disciples and he says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Wait for the gift, my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is referred to as a gift. But then he goes one step further. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And his power will be so effective in your lives that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and some of you in Judea and some of you in Samaria and some of you to the very ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The last words out of his mouth, stay in Jerusalem until the power from on high comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, before he ascends up into heaven, he says to his disciples, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. How do you put together the witness aspect and wait until the power from on high comes upon you? Here's how you put it together. You can't do the one unless the others happens. You can't do the one until the other has happened. I should have learned by my lesson by now. It's happened to me more than once. Uh, They're in the basement vacuuming, and all of a sudden the vacuum cleaner, when I go to turn it on, it's not working. And I spend uh, half an hour trying to figure out why it's not working, and I'm ready to call over the next-door neighbor. And then I look and see I have not plugged in the vacuum cleaner. There is no power going to it. You cannot be his witnesses unless the Holy Spirit has come and affected his work in you, and it takes him no time at all. With a snap of a finger, the Holy Spirit has brought his power into your life. It may take you a while before you respond to the power, but the power is there. His name was Luke. Tradition says that this good doctor was a slave. He had most likely been captured and brought to Theophilus' households. And maybe he was brought to Theophilus' household because he was a doctor. He was a brilliant man. And Theophilus says, I need someone in my house to take care of me and my family. And God sends him. Someone else might have picked him out from the list and said, 
Luke, you are going to go to the home of Theophilus. And you are so blessed because he's such a powerful individual in the Roman Empire. God sends him there, not just to take care of this man's health and this man's family, but he sends him there because Luke, though a Gentile, has become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God puts him in the home of Theophilus, this thing, uh, this uh, virus, in a good sense, flows out of Luke, and Theophilus notices that there's something different about Luke. And as they get to know each other better and they get more comfortable with each other, Theophilus says, how come you're the way you are? How come you're such a kind individual, such a good individual, such a patient individual? How come you got so much love in you and joy and peace and everything like that? And Luke, the light bulb goes off and he knows that this is the opportunity that God has given him to share the good news with this man named Theophilus. Luke writes two books. He's the only Gentile author of any of the books of the Bible. He writes two books. One of them is the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is dedicated to Theophilus. And in that Gospel, Luke calls him the most excellent Theophilus. The only other person in the Bible called most excellent is a man named Festus who was the governor of Caesarea. And the Apostle Paul tries to talk to Festus about God and his kingdom, and Festus says, you almost got me convinced. If Theophilus is referred to as the most excellent one, then many a theologian believe that he was a member of the Senate of Rome. And there was no more powerful entity in Rome than the Senate. They did extraordinarily good things, and they did extraordinarily evil things. All the power was in the Senate. Why does God send Luke into the home of Theophilus? So that Theophilus might hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he hears it, the Holy Spirit converts him to the faith. Can you imagine what it's like when you have a Christian in the highest governing body of that empire? If the Holy Spirit is in Theophilus, and if that Holy Spirit becomes the streams of living water flowing out of Theophilus, then his actions, his words, his deeds, his thoughts, they are going to be touched by the Holy Spirit of God. And the influence that he had in that Senate as a Christian, who can explain it? Wilberforce was a Christian there in England. I mentioned him not too long ago in a sermon. When the Holy Spirit got hold of Wilberforce, he was like a bull in a china closet with regards to one thing, the eradication of slavery. When God's Holy Spirit changes Wilberforce, and he's in the Parliament of England, there is such a force coming forth from him 
that it affects not only England, but then the United States, the entire world. One man infected by the Holy Spirit of God, and look at what occurs. I said at the beginning that the sun, thank you for checking it on Google there, Drew. I said at the beginning that the sun in one second produces enough energy as one trillion megaton bombs in one second. And that's one sun. And there are a hundred billion suns, stars in our solar system. And there are a hundred billion trillion stars in the two billion other galaxies that they have found so far. Who created one sun? God. Who created the galaxies? God. Whose power is at work in this universe? God. Whose power is found in the Holy Spirit? God. And what does the Holy Spirit's power do? 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have proof in these disciples, right? They see Jesus risen from the dead. They say to Thomas, Jesus risen from the dead. Thomas says, I don't believe you. I got to see evidence. And when he sees the evidence, then he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you believe in me because you saw the the wounds in my hands, side and feet. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And those disciples, when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, what did they do then? Did they become his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? No, they didn't. What did they do? They went back up to Galilee and started fishing again. And Matthew got out his textbooks and reviewed the rules and laws with regard to being a tax collector, and he went back to his work. They all went back to their normal lives. Jesus came on at least three occasions in the 40 days between his death and resurrection and ascension up into heaven. And during uh, those times when he came uh, to see his disciples, he wanted them to know that he was alive. Did it change them? No. What changed them? Ten days before he goes up into heaven, he says to them, excuse me, the day that he goes up to heaven, he says to them, wait in Jerusalem. And that was ten days. Wait in Jerusalem until the power from on high comes upon you. And then, and then, you're not going to be a tax collector anymore. You're not going to be a zealot anymore. You're not going to be a fisherman anymore. You are going to be my witnesses. Jesus doesn't say, maybe this is going to happen. He says, you will be. How can he be so certain? Because then when that power hits them, when the Holy Spirit hits them, they will have no choice. When that power comes full force, John 14, 26, Jesus said to them, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things and he'll bring to you an understanding of everything that has occurred. And when you have that teaching and that understanding, my peace will be yours. It'll be a peace not as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit comes, the power of God comes. They are not afraid any longer. They're not hiding in an upper room. They're not hiding 70 miles away in Galilee, hoping no one finds them up there. There is no more fear. There is a total understanding of why God has us on this earth. And that understanding is to be his servant. Matthew sixteen twenty six. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The disciples understood it. Matthew twenty twenty six. Whoever would be greatest among you must be servant of all. Whoever would be number one among you must be the slave of all. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. On that day of Pentecost, when the power of the Spirit came upon them, they went out that very day and they started to preach. They didn't wait till the day after. They went out that very day and they started to preach. And would they preach, Jesus Christ, you murdered him, God raised him from the dead. A couple of days later, Acts 4.12, the Sanhedrin gets a hold of him. Sanhedrin says to Peter, shut your mouth, says to John, shut your mouth. Or the same thing's going to happen to you as happened to your buddy Jesus. And they said to those men, we can be quiet. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. They preached in front of the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 6, there are a number of priests gathered together, probably as spies, to report back to the Sanhedrin. But Acts chapter 6 says, by the time Peter stops talking about Jesus, many come to the faith, including many of the priests, If the power of God can create these suns, stars, galaxies, and solar systems, what can the power of God, when it's let loose in a human being's life? Why did Luke write two books? I'll tell you. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He says at the very beginning, This is coming to you, most excellent Theophilus, because I want to lay out in great historical detail the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Gospel of Luke's all about Jesus. Luke was granted his manumission. He was granted his freedom by Theophilus. When Theophilus became a believer, he said, Luke, I'm so touched by what you've done in my life. I'm going to grant you your freedom. And Luke writes this gospel, 59, 60, 61 A.D., some 25 to 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. He writes the book, dedicates it to Theophilus, and sends it to him. And in that book, he wants Theophilus never to forget the details of the life of Jesus. That's why he writes it. God gets hold of it, and God says, this book isn't just going to be for Theophilus. I'm going to put it in the canon of Scripture. 
so that trillions of Christians can read this book. That's why I wrote Luke. Why did he write Acts? Why did he write the Acts of the Apostles? Because he wanted Theophilus to understand one other thing. Christianity is not just a celebration. Every Sunday we get together and we celebrate his birth and his death and his resurrection and we share the powerful stories of God. I think Sunday morning is like a celebration. I think when your small group gets together, it's like a celebration. I think when the choir gets together, it's a celebration. When the reveal band gets together, it's a celebration. If there's something we've missed in the last two months, it's getting together as a body of Christ and celebrating. That's why I wrote the Gospel of Luke. Let us celebrate his birth, Luke chapter 2. Is there any more powerful story of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2? That's what we read every Christmas. And let us celebrate his death on Good Friday. Let us celebrate uh, his resurrection when is the church packed? Bill, I'll not offer you $100 on this question, okay? When is the church packed? On Christmas and Easter. Those are times of celebration. You know when else the church ought to be packed? And 50 years ago it was packed on Pentecost. But the reason it's not packed on Pentecost is because Pentecost is not a celebration. Celebrations lead to Pentecost. Pentecost says to you, you must work in the kingdom. You have a responsibility to work in the kingdom. Apostle Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man has been invaded by Christ through the Holy Spirit, you are a new creature. Your old way of thinking and your old way of doing and your old way of speaking uh, has passed away. Behold, God has made you a new thing. You got two verses later, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. And then it says, God has made us his ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. It is as if God were speaking his message through us. Pentecost is about being filled with the Holy Spirit and streams of living water flow forth from you. Uh, Timothy. Second Timothy 1.7. God did not give you a spirit of timidity. <laughs> he gave you a spirit of power. There's the word again. He gave you a spirit. The Holy Spirit. He gave you a spirit of power. And of love. And of self-discipline. Why isn't the church packed on Pentecost? Because Pentecost is about you and I needing to do what God would have us do in his kingdom. Whenever you gave a drink of water to someone who was thirsty, streams of living water were coming forth. 
I'm going to go see someone this afternoon. Her sister is under hospice care. They don't know I'm coming. I'll knock on the door and I'll stand six feet away and I have my mask on and and I'll see if they're comfortable coming out into the back porch and sitting talking with me. She is so hungry and thirsty and sad because her sister's uh, under hospice care. When you fed someone who was hungry for companionship, when you gave a drink to someone who was uh, thirsty for companionship, they have no one, 80% of those people down in the Mantino Veterans Home, who haven't been able to see anyone in the last two months. The loneliness is exquisite because 80% of them never get a single visitor. And the loneliness is indescribable. And now for two months, no one's been able to get in and see them. When you gave someone who was thirsty a drink, of your presence, taking time out of your busy schedule to go there. May 26th, today, there are a group of some 20 to 24 people in our congregation who are forming a phone committee. I asked Kathy Gilmore last week to head it up. 750 family units in this church And this week we are trying to call each of them because all of a sudden I realized in my heart last week that our people haven't perhaps heard from anybody in two months. And when these phone calls are made, at least we're saying to somebody, I don't want you to be alone, certainly not in the midst of this. The Holy Spirit will do His work. Someone hungry because they didn't have food or companionship or God. Someone thirsty, someone naked, someone in prison, someone sick, because they didn't have the presence of God in their life. And you plug the vacuum cleaner into the outlet, and all of a sudden the vacuum cleaner worked for the purpose it was intended. And when you plug yourself into the power of God and the Holy Spirit comes... You are now serving the purpose for which God intended you to be on this earth. It's one of my favorite devotions. Charles Spurgeon, Evening and Morning. And in that devotion, I believe it was June 10th, he said, Why did God leave you on this earth one second longer than you needed to be on this earth? Why didn't he take you to heaven as soon as you believed in him? And then he said, because there's a person that God wants your life to touch. And when you touch that person, another person, and that person that you've touched, he'll touch someone else. That's why he leaves us here. We have a man in our church, his name is Brian And Brian's cousin, 10 days ago, sent us an email. And in the email, the cousin said, my cousin Brian said, hey, why don't you watch the service here at Trinity Online? It might be helpful for you. 
And Brian's cousin has watched the services over these past 10 weeks. And he sent an email and he said, I've watched the services, I've heard the messages. And because of that, I have gone from an agnostic to a true believer in Christ. And when Pastor Showers showed me that email, I just got goosebumps all over the place. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Brian saying to his cousin, hey, why don't you watch it? And he watches it. The Holy Spirit does his work. I've gone from an agnostic to a true believer in Christ. I need to close. The book of Acts has no ending. <laughs> Look at the book of Acts. There's no ending to it. There's no consummation. There's no marvelous climax. It just stops. And why does the book of Acts just stop? Because the acts of Jesus and the acts of the Holy Spirit still go on. Our Lord is not done, and he will not be done until the last moment that this earth exists. Dallas Willard said, when the Holy Spirit invades you, you'll no longer have to ask, what good work should I be doing? Because you already be doing it. And what will your works look like when the Holy Spirit has invaded? Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love in action. It is joy that is evident. It is peace that becomes yours and then filters out to others. It is patience in your dealing with others, with the coronavirus, with God himself. Why haven't you done this yet, God? How come you haven't lifted it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness to God and to yourself, gentleness, and self-control. I'm amazed at the power of the sun. I am further amazed at the power of the Holy Spirit. Taking a thief on the cross who's cursing Jesus. And in one moment of time, when the Holy Spirit has done his work, the thief on the cross says to him, I believe in you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And if Jesus had one last smile on his face in the midst of all that pain and suffering, if he had one last smile on his face, it was when the thief on the cross, touched by the Holy Spirit of God, said that to him. So powerful is the work of the Holy Spirit that when one sinner says, I believe in you, Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. Pentecost. 
the day of the Holy Spirit. In our Savior's name, amen. Lord, we've just celebrated, and now the Holy Spirit will cause, John seven thirty eight. now the Holy Spirit will cause streams of living water to flow forth. When Brian told his cousin to watch the service online, Brian had no idea what would happen to that cousin of his. And he was perhaps as amazed and touched as we are. And dear cousin, if you're watching the service today, may God continue to grow your in your faith and in your relationship with him. Because then you yourself become streams of living water. One might say the Holy Spirit wasted himself on the thief on the cross, although one person is exceedingly important. But the Holy Spirit used that story of the thief on the cross coming to the faith as perhaps one of the top three most powerful stories in the Bible. Because how many priests and how many pastors and how many lay people have used that story to share with someone they know, it is never too late to come to the faith. It is never too late for the Holy Spirit to do his work. Be with us, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen.